0: Fall Asleep with Henrik is a most wondrous and enchanting podcast intended to lull you into a deep slumber. Know that you need not exert yourself in listening to the words, for each episode is fashioned after a dream, wherein coherence waxes and wanes and twists and turns. Be not overly concerned with its meaning, for it simply exists for what it is. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Behold, the world of somna. A Swedish word that means fall asleep. And unlocks a peculiar experience only known to the bold Scandinavians. But fear not, my dear adventurers, for a portal to this realm has been discovered. Fall Asleep with Henrik, an auditory journey that has aided countless sleep seekers in Scandinavia since 2018, now offers passage to the English-speaking world. The podcast, unlike any other relaxation or meditation medium, does not rely on customary visualizations or breathing techniques. Nay, It boasts of a unique approach where the affable Henrik, that would be me, divulges in a stream of consciousness, often illogical and improvised musings. The objective of this auditory quest is to distract the listener's restless mind, stir creativity, or provide company for mundane tasks. The host's voice serves as a conduit for the listener's tangled thoughts, urging them to disregard the semantics of my words. Perhaps the podcast's message is an ode to the vagaries of existence, that life is seldom straightforward and that is acceptable. So pack your bags, my friend, and embark on an expedition to fall asleep with Henrik, a destination where the unknown and the irrational are not only welcomed, but celebrated. It is what it is. What happens, happens. And right now, there's nothing we can do. Let's begin. My Pony didn't seem to understand the situation, however. I had a very difficult time in keeping him out of sight while I was getting rid of the baggage, but at last everything was packed away and ready to start as soon as I returned. And after I had mounted him, and we were walking along together, I felt sure that if he only knew that we were going to the city of Chicago and would come back again one day, it would comfort him a little for all my precautions seemed unnecessary. As soon as we arrived at the foot of the street, I left him tied up with his bridle in hand on the pavement. We'll be back before dark, said I. If I'm not here by nightfall, don't let anyone go near the pony. Tie him fast under this tree and put food and water beside him. Don't you try to run off, my boy. I won't run away, sir, answered my pony quite sadly. I mounted the wagon and pushed it off on the first corner I came to. The driver looked around in surprise when I jumped down. Then he started the horse's forward. We got about half a block without a word being exchanged between us until I saw that he was thinking what to say next. Suddenly he stopped the team and pointed to me. That ain't your pony, mister, said he. He belongs to some other man over at that corner. What are you doing with him? Why? said I. That pony is mine and he is that just as much as he would be yours if you had bought him. Well, that don't matter to me, sir. I didn't ask you for a horse and I'm not going to drive one that doesn't belong to me. You don't look like a driver to me, said I. How can you tell whether it belongs or not unless you have asked the owner? The man looked as if he were not satisfied with that reply and said he didn't know anything about driving horses. But I wasn't going to wait any longer for his decision, so I jumped into the wagon and turned up the road in the opposite direction from the one I had come. Now I'll take good care of my horse, said I to myself. It's a pity to see a poor beast made sport of. One of the most difficult things with making up a story about a pony is to decide how many miles he has to go before he reaches his owner. I decided upon a distance of 300 miles as being quite sufficient to get him all the way to Chicago. 300 miles is a lot more than half as far as from Boston to New York, said I to myself. But it's only one half as far from Chicago to Boston, and there is no need to make it less. Besides, the more miles I added to my pony's trip, the less trouble it would be for me. For if my story was discovered by the people of Chicago, it would be better not to tell them where his home was. I knew that if he came back, I should have to tell a tale about how he could go to California without being able to go overland. If they found out that he was going from Illinois to Boston by rail, I might find it a harder job to deceive them. In fact, I was very pleased when I remembered how far Chicago was from St. Louis. The further we got, the more easy the whole affair seemed. The driver began to say a great deal to me now, and I could tell he had made up his mind to go on with his journey and that he intended to stop at Chicago. As long as we were going the same way as before, he seemed to have no objection whatever to my presence. He told me that this road led straight to Chicago, and that I had better turn off as soon as I reached the river. This time, I paid attention. And when we came to the Ohio, I took the wagon off and turned the horses in the direction of the city. I had been so much interested in what the driver was saying that I did not see that the sun was sinking until it was almost too late for me to continue my journey alone. So I went to the nearest house, knocked at the door, and told my story to an elderly woman who was waiting for her husband to come back from his work as a farmer. She seemed willing enough to help me, but she told me to drive, to be the driver, although that doesn't quite match up to the premise of this sleeping podcast story. I don't know anything about driving, said I, but I'll do the best I can. After the old couple had got their bundles in the wagon, we started again for Chicago. The night had become very dark before we came in sight of the lights, and then the driver looked all around and laughed. That's all right now, said he. And here's your horse tied to the fence at the corner there. And his man is coming to take care of him. If you'll give me fifty cents, I'll go back and get some supper for him. I gave him five dollars. And then I followed the man and helped to put food and water on the ground before the poor animal's nose. He didn't seem to have any idea of leaving his stable for several days yet. We were going so fast that I couldn't ask him many questions about where I could get something to eat. All that the man had time to tell me was that a lot of soldiers had camped on the opposite side of the river and he advised me to keep away from them as they didn't treat travellers well. When the man got back, I saw that his wife had already eaten her supper, but that she had been so much worried by her fears for her husband that she'd eaten too little. There was still a plateful left on the table. You can have what's left there, my boy, said she, but if you want more than that, you will have to go to the next house. I thought it would be quite out of the question for me to get more than two or three mouthfuls with one hand while driving. So I went away, hungry. When we reached the outskirts of Chicago, I saw a number of people walking along the street with their hands in their pockets. It's no use asking anyone here for supper, said I, but it may not be such a bad thing to see where they are going. So I pushed up beside an old lady who seemed to be carrying some money in a little handbag. I told her my story and asked her for a couple of dollars. To make a little change as it is so dark and late. She took my hand and examined it carefully and when she was satisfied that it was genuine, she put a dollar and a half into it, saying that, as I was hungry, it was a pity for me not to have a good meal. I thanked her heartily, and then, taking hold of the reins, started for Chicago. I knew nothing about driving, But when I saw how much farther we should be able to get, I could not stop myself from driving at a pretty good pace. In five minutes, we came to a place where there were a lot of people waiting for the streetcar. And as I did not see any of my friends on the cars, I took care not to let any of those people see me. And the people on the streets gave me a wide berth as I hurried along. It was growing light when I got to the hotel. And just as I passed by an alley, I heard a man calling to me. The voice was not very loud, and as he called it several times, I felt sure that it was meant for me alone. I turned to look at the speaker, but I could see nothing, though I was only three doors from him. I have seen your pony boy, said the voice. And now that I have found you, what shall I tell them that you are doing with him? At these words all the colour leaped out of my cheeks and I looked at my hands and face. But as before, the only result was that my skin got paler than it had been before. But if I did not wish my story to be known to the police, I must not let it be told to strangers. So I said to the voice that I should tell no one what I was doing with the horse until they would come back to claim him and that he must give his word in this way. At this, the old man spoke and said that if I gave him a promise to keep my secret, he should do everything that I wished. I asked him when I might expect them, and he said that they were coming at any moment. When he went away, I tried to put some color into my face. But it didn't help me much. And I was obliged to sit down and eat. While I was doing this, I heard two men talking together and when I listened more closely, I heard them say that there was a young gentleman sitting at breakfast in the hotel who had just been arrested by the police for being drunk in the streets. They seemed to think it strange that such an accident should have happened to a man whom they knew to be quite a good fellow. For he had often walked with them on the streets of the town and never did anything which could be supposed to lead to a disturbance. As soon as they got my story, the police would send a policeman over to make the arrest. It was now ten minutes past twelve, and my story could not be false. So, with my heart beating like a kettle, I went upstairs and got dressed quickly. I wanted to go back to the wagon, but when I came out in front of it, there was no trace whatever left of it or my pony. My heart beat faster and faster, for I thought that my only chance to keep my secret was to pretend that I did not know anything about it. So I took my bag, which was hanging from a nail in the fence, and set off to look for the nearest hotel. It was not much farther than a quarter of a mile, but I had gone but a short distance before I felt that my strength was giving way under me. I sat down on a box which stood at the corner and began to cry. And when I heard somebody coming up to me, I pretended to be looking for some papers in my handbag. The person who had been talking with the men was now walking by my side. He looked very pale and frightened and said nothing as we went along. I thought of getting on one of the streetcars and going back to the hotel so as to put the police off the track but when we came opposite the hotel, he spoke to me again. I'll show you where to get a cab, said he, and then you can drive home all alone. Oh, I'm too tired to walk any farther, I answered. He led me along one of the streets till we came to a number of people waiting outside a tavern. Here's a place for you said he. I went in with him. The people inside were making a great deal of noise and laughing loudly at each other. We passed through the first room into a smaller one. And when we came into this, the noise seemed much louder because I could hear it better. After a time, We got out of the room, into another. And here we found ourselves in front of the bar. When he spoke to the bartender, he ordered two glasses of beer and one of wine. We sat down, and as he had not offered me any refreshment, I did not order any. for I was so weak that I feared lest I should faint before we had done drinking it. When he came back to the table, he began to talk to me more cheerfully and told me that he would go back to the house where I had left my horse and tell his wife that I was in Chicago. Then he said, If you have got fifty cents, you may as well buy me a drink. I took the change from my pocket and gave it to him, saying that I hoped he would soon be able to return it to me. When we had finished drinking, he asked me to go to a barber shop that I saw opposite and ask him to cut my hair and beard for me. I did so, and when I returned, he told me that the police were looking for me at the hotel and that he was afraid they would discover me when I had gone to a barber. As soon as the barber was done with me, I hurried home. The people on the streets did not seem to take any notice of me, and when I arrived at the hotel, a policeman was standing outside waiting for me. He was one whom I knew and I tried to put all my strength into the words I spoke to him. At the same time, I drew myself up and looked fierce. But though he listened to me with much respect and attention, he could not get out of his mind the fact that I was too weak to be able to answer an accusation like this in a court of justice. He made me sit down upon a chair in a dark corner of the hall, where I remained for several hours while he went to inquire after the man I wanted to find and who was then at some public house not far off. When he came back again, he looked very grave, but I was not so anxious about it as I might have been. He said that he should have found the man if I had told him his name. Adding that there would probably be no occasion for us to take any trouble in bringing him to justice. It appeared that he had not seen me for a long time, that he thought that I was staying at some place in the country, and that he had never heard of me since that day at St. Louis when we parted company. When I had finished talking with the policeman, he asked me to give my word, not to go out again. I promised this oath, but before he took me downstairs, I got permission to write my story and send it home. And then I was carried away, as you may suppose, almost to my heart's content for the idea of being taken back to a court and having to repeat the whole story to the judge and jury made me shudder. As soon as I came back to my room, I sat down upon my bed and began to write what I had seen and done from the time I left my friend at St. Louis and of all the things which I had learned about myself. I knew how little of interest this history must appear to anybody else. But the fact was that it made me more cheerful than I had been since the night before. It was long ere they came, for I was still writing when they arrived. But, as I have said before, I was very well satisfied with what they did, for, They showed no signs of taking any notice of what I said or wrote. They had a man standing outside the door that led to the street. When we reached the bottom of the stair, I heard a voice calling my name. At first I did not see who spoke. But when we went out of the house and started on our way home, I looked at a man whom I supposed was one of the police. As we drew near to the public house, I saw that we were going toward a place where a number of men were sitting around the doors. When we came close to them, one of the policemen told me to stop where I was. Then the officer who had spoken to me in the hall turned round to him, saying, Now take this young gentleman up to your room and keep him there till we come back for him. The policeman said nothing. But, turning round, walked off with me toward the public house while another ran alongside of him and kept asking whether I had ever seen any of the men who were in it before. The place was as dark as pitch and although the door of the room was wide open the man who brought me to it did not seem to think that it would be safe to leave it open any longer than necessary. When we entered the room, the policeman locked the door behind him. And then, taking a candle from the wall, he handed me a light and left me standing on the threshold. As soon as the darkness fell, I made a dash into the room and sat down upon my bed, for I had not strength enough to go to another place. Then there was silence for a long time. And though I tried hard to listen to the noise outside, I could not make out what it might be. At last I heard the bolt thrown, and the door opened, and a man came into the room. He asked me where I was born, and told me that his name was Frank Dyer. It appeared that he was one of the gang who were waiting to catch me when I came in search of the man I wanted. As soon as I knew where I was, I gave him all my story from the night at St. Louis, down to the day on which I met you in Chicago. But he said that he had no orders to take me away, so after he had looked me over carefully, I was ordered to stand up and put on my coat, and then to be silent. He went out with the policemen to look for Dyer, whom they had not yet seen. And while they were gone, I heard them say that they would not let me out again till the night after tomorrow, when they expected to find him, or at least some of the others who had escaped. When they came back to the room, they untied me but ordered me not to move from this place. The next morning I was told that it was the day I ought to have come into town and that I should go out in the evening about the same hour I came in last night. So I began to look forward to what was going to happen. When evening came, it was a very dark night. There was scarcely a star in the sky And even when we got outside, there was little enough to distinguish the forms of those who stood around it. Now then, he said. He left me alone. And in a minute I had managed to draw one leg over the side and had climbed down from the carriage. When he came up with me, he was much surprised and began to talk to me saying that I must have been pretty nimble. But still he could not help admiring me, and I saw that he did not like the idea of letting me go out by myself. I said that if he wanted any information concerning Chicago, which was the place I belonged to, he might ask me. I would tell him about it. And this seemed to satisfy him. For after I had told him several things, he let me go. I was soon on my way home. And though it was very hard work to get along in the darkness, I managed somehow. For at length I came within sight of our house, and I went into the yard. When I got back I found that your father and mother had returned without me and I was told that they had left you behind them, but that they had come back again for me. It is not easy to describe how I felt when I heard what had happened. At first I thought that it would be better for us all to stay quietly where we were, but... As the night wore away, I began to think that I ought to go and get you and bring you into our house. And so I determined to go on my way again and look out for you. When I told your father and mother all that had happened and asked their advice, they said that I should do my best to get you to join us And so, when daylight came, I set out on my journey for Chicago. I have already told you how I had no one with whom I could talk in my journey, and therefore it is quite a long while ere I came in sight of that city. And even then, I did not know where you would be likely to be found. But the night was clear, and as the moon shone bright, it made it easy to find your home. And as soon as I got in sight of it, I stopped in order to make inquiries. There were several men standing around the gate, but I did not see your father or mother anywhere. I then went in and inquired whether you were at the public house where we used to go and as they told me you had not been there all that day, I was very much surprised, for I believed that you would have gone back to the hotel as we used to do. As soon as they had looked around, they took me upstairs into your room, where they told me that you had not left the house till the following morning. I then asked them to ask you if you wanted anything, And as soon as he had seen you, they told me that you were there. This settled all my doubts. It seemed as if a weight of care was taken off my mind when I saw that you were quite safe. And I then thought what would be the best plan for getting home. So that, if I did not find out how we should come about it by the next day, we might stay with your parents till you could see how matters would stand. So, as soon as breakfast was ready, I asked your father to give us a share in it. As soon as he had given us a plate each, I went over to your mother, who, however, asked me what had brought me back again so soon, for I had been away for two whole nights. When I had explained... She told me that I might be sure of their doing everything in their power to get us back again into Chicago as soon as possible and that they hoped we had better go out of this house as fast as we could. She then asked me how much money we had with us so that as soon as she had seen what we had got and I had told her the price of the carriage and the horses, she knew exactly how much there would be between us at the end of the journey as it seemed to me we had made a good bargain for ourselves. When we had finished breakfast, I got ready for my departure, and your father came out to see me off, telling me that if I got through without being seen, we should probably get away by the morning after tomorrow, though the chances were that we should be stopped before the evening of that day. I went away then, thinking all the time that nothing could be worse than being shut up with these people for one night longer. When I left them the next morning, I felt sure that if they took the trouble to send an officer after me, I could easily elude him. It seemed very dark when I left home. there was not a breath of wind, and as we were going at a good pace, the road was in a fair way of getting light. For by the time we had covered two miles, we could see quite well. It was now near eleven o'clock. As we had been driving for several hours with our eyes fixed on the front of the carriage, I saw at once that something must have happened to alter the road, as I thought I ought to have seen some of the houses and trees we had passed before. However, I was in no way alarmed when we had proceeded about a mile and a half and found ourselves still going in the direction of Chicago. Father, do you know where we are? He looked at his compass, which he carried always with him. Then, at the road book, he answered, No, son, we must have taken a wrong turn, for there is nothing written in the book. when we were both quite convinced that we were going the wrong way. I told you what would be best to do, saying that I hoped we should be able to get back again to our road in a quarter of an hour's walk. You replied, Let us try. We did so. And although it was not much easier than going in the carriage, we managed to get out and taking the road at right angles to the one we had been following, got along more quickly. When we were just opposite a house belonging to some friends of your father's, which is not far from Chicago, we stopped and got out and came in for dinner, which you seemed as anxious to get as if you had never eaten one before. I then took the road for Chicago once more, And when we were out of sight of your friend's house, I made you get into the carriage again, as it would be best to drive through the night. We could see a great deal of smoke from fires burning somewhere close together. And it struck me that it might be best to get into some place of refuge till the morning. So I told you to stop at the house I meant to take you to. And after going a little way, we entered a very large public house. Where the first thing I said to the landlord was, Will you let us have a room here till daybreak? He answered, It will cost you something like two dollars for a whole night. I told him that was not too dear. He thought that it was a good joke to hear so much spoken in such a tone and asked whether we were going to take the law into our own hands. I told him I wished to do as much as possible in order that we might get away without any delay. We went up to the rooms assigned us. There was no one there but myself and you. The landlord came with the key to give us the key to the room. And as he unlocked the door, I saw that all my suspicions were confirmed, for on the floor was a heap of papers and letters. I said to you that I believed that we had better go away now as soon as we might, and that if the place had a name, I should make inquiries of the constable's as it might be necessary for us to have an address. I then took the money we had got together, about twenty dollars, and gave it to the landlord saying, Thank you, kind sir. This is a sleeping podcast, so if you still haven't got a grasp of what this story is about, it's okay. Because it's like with dreams. Dreams are very seldom grasped, in any real sense anyway. The landlord nodded. As he turned towards the stairs to go down to the kitchen, I asked him where I might get a meal. He replied that he did not think there would be such a thing. But at the same time he asked me what I wanted, as it seemed strange for him to see me there alone. I told him that I had brought a young gentleman with me and that I should not like him to stay any longer than was necessary. So I had to tell him who you were and say that you were my son, whom I had brought back from some friend's house in this direction. Then he began to ask me many questions about you. But as I told him nothing more than I had told the landlord, I could see he was not much inclined to talk about you, and he said, Well, when I know who your companion is, I may perhaps have something to say. As we sat down in the room, you asked what was best for us to do, and I told you that the only way would be for us to take someone with us, as we might be seen before daybreak. At this you asked me if I was sure that anyone could come after us so soon as we hoped for. I answered, of course. You then said to me, so we must do our best to get out of it as soon as we can. How are we going to do it? By finding a place to hide in till morning we talked over various ways of escaping. But, as I knew how much money you had on your person, I thought it better to get into the first public house which came in sight of any town. As soon as I could find anything worth looking at, I took the road which seemed to lead towards Chicago. And so, dear Somna, Here ends our story.